Joseph is a bit player in this story, isn't he? We're not even sure who he was. The, um, John's gospel does say that he was the father of Jesus. Luke's gospel says he was the so-called father of Jesus or the as thought of father of Jesus. So there's a difference there. And Mark, of course, doesn't mention Joseph at all. He's the, kind of like the, the Prince Philip of the Bible. Uh, not, like the, not like Prince Harry, because Joseph never speaks. And possibly some of you think Harry speaks too much. But, but we've got Joseph this week. And actually, the week after Christmas, if you can imagine the week after Christmas, which is only two weeks away but feels like forever, and you won't remember any of this by then anyway, but we'll have Joseph again then on New Year's Day. And uh, as, as Rob said, you know, you could come after your party and um, it'll be quiet because I'll have a headache and, uh, you know, we'll be gentle. But we know two things about Joseph from this reading that are really essential. One is that, Jesus, that Joseph is a righteous man or a just man. The text tells us that. Except it doesn't make any sense. Because the Hebrew scriptures are quite clear in what to do in the unlikely and unfortunate event of a young woman betrothed to a man who discovered to be pregnant before the wedding and the person to whom she is betrothed is not the father. The, the scriptures are pretty clear. You send them away, you dismiss them, you break the relationship. In fact, there's one, evidence, one suggestion in Deuteronomy that you stone them to death. That's justice. That's righteousness. So how we, we're told that Joseph is righteous and just, but then he goes completely against what is righteous and just, the right thing to do. We know the right thing to do. That's why we incarcerate asylum seekers, because we've got a law, and the law is justice. And if it takes seven years or nine years in a hotel room, well, that's just what the law says. But right here at the beginning of the gospel, things start to get twisted. Because Joseph acts with mercy, which is a much more useful word for us is kindness. Joseph acts with kindness. He tempers justice with kindness Mercy, and everything changes. There's another way of dealing with this. Yes, there's, there's the law, but then there's a way of dealing with it which treats a human being with dignity and respect. Even one who somehow, and Joseph at this point doesn't even know how, somehow has become pregnant. And whether or not Joseph is Jesus' father and the Gospels are unsure, he sure is in this moment, isn't he? Because this is how Jesus will spend his whole life, tempering justice with mercy and kindness. He's definitely his father's son in this. So Joseph is willing to change things. He's willing to do things differently. He's willing to hold up the dignity of an individual human being against whatever the law says. And the other thing we know about Joseph is he's a dreamer. He's like his namesake, Joseph, the patriarch. And anybody reading this story for the first time who was a good Jew, and Matthew's Gospel is essentially written to people with a good grounding in Judaism and 
they would know who Joseph the patriarch was, a central character in the Old Testament story. At his, in his life, at all the major points, his life is changed by dreams. Either dreams he's had, Joseph, or dreams he interprets. And if you don't remember the story, go back and read it. It's an extraordinary story. A dream changed this Joseph's life, but that doesn't make any sense to us either. Because aren't dreams the sort of thing you have when you've eaten too much cheese the night before? Aren't they the sort of thing that you're too stressed and so your brain is working out your life in a dream? Of course, both those things are true. But we're the only culture on the planet that doesn't pay attention to dreams. If you know anybody uh, who uh, lives as connected to traditional First Nations culture, dreams are central to the way they think about the world. They're central to the way all other cultures think. It's only when we became rationalists that we thought rationalism wasn't only a good idea, it was the only idea. And so a dream is dismissed. We lose touch with our inner lives. We are at war with ourselves inside ourselves. So we need to go and see psychologists and psychiatrists and we need to take drugs in order to try and manage who we are inside because we, we're not connected to us. Spike Milligan, who suffered greatly from depression all his life and was very brave in talking about it in some of his uh, interviews, he said once that he, was, he felt so disconnected from himself that if he saw himself walking towards him down the street, he'd go past him without recognising himself. And we all have that experience. But not this man. Joseph is paying attention to his inner life, to his psyche, to what we might call the, his deep mind or his soul. And he trusts the dream. He trusts it because he's doing two things here. He's in tune with himself, but he's also in tune with his story. Not just his individual story, but the story of his culture. He's paid attention to who he is in the world. Because if you just pay attention to your own inner world, it can sometimes send you off the track. And we've seen that in the tragic events in Queensland in the last week, haven't we? People so certain of their inner world and their experience of it that that shapes their outer world to such a degree that the idea that you could kill other human beings just seems natural and normal. It just seems like the obvious way to go. So if you're going to be in tune with your inner self, with who you are, with paying attention to your your, if you like, your soul or your psyche or dreams. You've got to temper that with the experience of the world. You've got to know your history. You've got to know where you've come from. You've got to understand what it's like to be a white Australian in a land that we invaded, whatever that means. You've got to understand what it means to come from a culture that has been very steeped in rationalism and in the enlightenment and all of the strengths that we've got gained from that, you've got to kind of pay attention. You need internal and external wisdom and Joseph seems to have both. And yet, he's a pretty small player in this. Like I said, he doesn't even speak in any, anywhere. And after this, 
He disappears after this and, and the reading that we'll have on January the 1st. He's just an ordinary bloke. But he's attuned in a way that he could easily have missed because he's attuned to small things. A dream is, in one sense, it's just a dream. I don't know if you've ever been to see a, a counsellor who's encouraged you to keep a dream journal. The idea is that you wake up, immediately you wake up and write down anything of the dream that you can remember. And when I've done that on a regular basis, when, when I've seen counsellors, they've helped me. And in fact, you, you remember a lot more of your dream than you think you do. And if you pay attention and take it seriously, you can write down all kinds of really interesting and sometimes very strange stuff. But it's being attuned to that smallness, what can easily be missed. And of course, Jesus talks about this all through his life. There's the yeast in the dough. There's a seal, there's the seed in the earth, the smallness. It's the smallness and the ordinariness of what Jesus calls the kingdom or the world of God, the world coming into being. It's the smallness that can easily be missed. I mean, heck, this story, not this one, but the Luke story, tells us that Jesus, when he's born, is laid in a food trough made for animals. You know, if you need to be reminded that this is about smallness, this is about the ordinary, the easily missed, isn't that what that part of the story is telling us? To look for the ordinary and the small and to discover within it life. Jesus says all the way through the Gospel of Matthew, none of the other Gospels have this, but all the way through Jesus says about eight or ten times, O oh, you of little faith. And we sometimes read that as a criticism, and possibly it is, because shouldn't we supposed to have bigger faith? Aren't we supposed to be tougher and smarter and larger? And <sighs> Oh, ye of little faith, Jesus says a number of times. It's not necessarily a criticism. I think it's an encouragement. Yeah, little faith, that's all. That's all you need. If God so clothes the grass of the field which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not so much clothe you, you of little faith? Lord, save us, we're perishing. The disciples say we're on the, on the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus says to them, don't be afraid, you of little faith. Little faith is all that matters. Small things are where it really is. Your life, an ordinary life. Joseph's life, an ordinary, simple life. But not straightforward because he has to have courage to hear his own story and courage to connect it to the world and to be kind. There's a great song by the artist Jewel um, from the 1990s and the line of the song was only kindness matters when you think about it only kindness matters it's an extraordinary thing what if you knew when you went into the world today when you woke up tomorrow that everything that happens to you will be done in great kindness it would change who you were wouldn't it 
Because you would turn out to be kind to other people. Oh, you of little faith, all you need is a bit of kindness. Joseph's kindness changed the world. I'd be just as happy to change my attitude before the end of the day. And that would still be something, wouldn't it? Amen. Let's sing again.